Tov. Um, we, we, are in, we have begun our, uh, the fifth and final parak. We have one week left of Beitza. Um, today's daf is Lamed Vav, 36. We pick up on the bottom of Lamed Hamad Bet from the, um, um, after the two dots. It is seven lines from the bottom, Tanan. Um, and, uh, of course, today is Yom Hazikaron, so our learning should be in the Zuchus and the memory of all those who have uh, fallen in defense and uh, the creation of the State of Israel. Um, okay, so we pick up with our Mishnah, which talks about, we had a whole funny introduction about um, the exact text of the word Mashilin and how many other words um, might sound like Mashilin and mean more or less the same thing, but now we get to the basic point, which is the allowance to lower fruit on the roof that's not Mukta that you designated or have finished drying out and to lower it through a, uh, a skylight um, and also to go ahead and cover up things that it's going to be about to rain on them even though you're not doing it for Ochel Nefesh because you're not going to eat it today nevertheless you're allowed to do it to protect them so it shouldn't be a Hefseid and the counterbalancing concern might be that as Raji says of um, Kircha or always there's also the additional question of Uvda Dechol let's take a look at what our Gemara says it's not you can lower down fruit by the skylight on Yanta from the roof. Um, and by the way, fruit here, it because there, we'll see later there's all this concern about the rain ruining it, probably means more like rain, you know, and then if the rain rains on it, it starts to rot. Or who knows, could be other fruit also that will rot if it gets wet. Okay, so how much? How are we allowed to do? Before it starts to get to be a problem about, you know, about too much effort. Or too much over to the chol. I'm Reb Zeir Ravasi, Vamilei Amar Ravasi, Amar Reb Yochanan. Kosher Shishaninu, like we taught in Shabbat, we had a similar discussion about moving fruit around, um, although for different reasons. And we're going to follow those parameters. What do we teach over in Shabbat? What's the Mishnah? Machin Arba V'chamesh Kupot Shel Seven V'chel Tru'ah. You can clear away the space of four or five boxes. Apparently, there's a standard understanding of what the size of a box is, or baskets live better of uh, a straw or of grain. If there are guests, meaning so you need um, you need some extra place to sit, and somehow you know you make extra space by moving. Uh, I don't exactly get the scenario. Let's all go out to the barn. Let's all go out to the storage house, and we'll make some space there. Or somehow, but by the moving it, it opens up space for you to sit. So you, that's why you're moving it, not to protect the fruit. Um, or because of the, you're causing the loss of the. Uh, study hall, meaning that people want to have a place to sit and learn, and this is a good place, but what you'd have to do is you'd have to like move, move out a lot of grain in order to make the space. So you're allowed to do it. Four or five. Now, that seems to be under... Now, four or five could just mean however much you need, but it understands that, no, that actually is setting some type of a limit to it. So then, presumably, that same quantity would be true here. Now, the Gemara says, one minute, there are different issues that are at stake. Shabbos, it's Yantiv, why are you doing it? Are you doing it for guests and for base medrash, or are you doing it so that the fruit doesn't rot? And those might make differences in either direction. So let's take a look. But maybe, Shani Hasam Diga Medrash. There, there's a special allowance to do a lot, because, you know, it's in order to uh, get people, uh, because people otherwise won't have a place to learn, or because of an issue of guests. Avahacha to like a piece of this matter here that there aren't those uh, concerns. Well, we won't allow as much inami, or you can say the opposite way. Maybe there. Oh, I'm sorry. This is two reasons why why it, it's, why it, would, it should be a lot by Shabbos and less by Yatav. A there's little base magrish, or there Shabbos is very weighty. If we give you allowance to start moving a lot of hay around, you're not going to forget it's Shabbos. And it's not going to lead to other leniencies. 
So we can allow even up to four and five baskets of a yontav to kill but yontav which is lighter, it doesn't just mean lighter in that like it's uh, not chayiv nisa for violating. It also means that in practice you wind up doing a lot more things food related and cooking and all those types of things. So, you know, and we've always had this counterbalancing weight of uvda dechol and tircha because we want to make sure that with all those leniencies of yontav you're still preserving the feeling and the weight of yontav. So there where those are heightened concerns vasi and you'll come to be leaning we won't allow it at all now it doesn't literally mean we don't allow it at all because our mission says that we do allow it but it means that we don't that we don't allow to the same degree okay so maybe there's you could have reasons why we have greater allowance on Shabbos why we, we have greater allowance on Shabbos there's the issue of guests and base medrash it's also Shabbos is weightier it allows us to be a little bit more lenient okay or in, but, but, but um, and therefore those are reasons that Shabbos should be more lenient but you could also argue the opposite way let's opposite the other way that Yandu should be more lenient there we limit it to four or five boxes because although there's issues of guests or base medrash it's not issues of loss of property here that there's a concern of loss of property maybe the rabbis will allow even more so that's interesting which is a bigger, big, bigger thing that would sort of you know give you greater latitude a bigger, a, a bigger push to be lenient is it the issue of guests and learning or is it the issue of Hesed Mamon I should also mention that Hesed Mamon in addition to like just you know, we're concerned that people shouldn't, you know, that, that their uh, things shouldn't go to waste. Um, is also concerned that if you don't give people a certain amount of latitude about this thing, then they're just going to do whatever they need to do. Um, and, you know, so that comes up in the Gemara as well. So it's not just it's a weighty issue and we want to, you know, it should allow us to override certain concerns. It's also, if we don't give you some, you know, some avenue of doing it, you might wind up doing it anyway with even greater violation. Okay, so you could argue either way. So Shabbos give you more allowance or less allowance allowance, not clear. Do you take the idea of four and five baskets and say it should be the same here? Should it be less here? Should it be more here? You could argue either way. Now we're going to go through a whole list of things that are parameters by Shabbos and we want to know if the same applies by Yantav in this analogous case and make the same type of arguments that there's reasons both to be more strict by Yantav and to be more lenient. Hasam Tanan by Shabbos we taught of a lower tzar. You cannot, you can, while you, while you can, you know, make space in your, in your barn, whatever, to, for, for guests or for learning, you cannot do it in the storage house. Now, what does that mean? The Amr Shmuel explains it the following way. What does that mean? Not, you know, not be a store shed. Don't clear out the entire shed, even if the entire shed only has, you know, or house only has four or five baskets. So we already have the limit of four to five baskets. But let's say it doesn't, it only has like three baskets worth or four baskets worth. You can't clear the whole thing out. Why not? So we're going to see. If you cleared out the whole space, now you've got a nice whole exposed floor. And if you're only clearing out a few bundles of wheat and you have a little bit of a space, we can all gather together and eat there or, or like, you know, do a little bit, learn our daf yomi. Fine. We're not trying to make the whole space nice. But if you cleared out the whole floor and then if the whole place is open, now let's get out a broom, let's sweep it, let's get it all to look nice, and then you're going to come to smooth over uh, furrows and, you know, and indentations, which is a, because we're talking about a dirt floor, which is a problem, obviously, on Shabbat, okay, which is like a type of a, um, to be like bone and so on. So the Gemara says, Hachamai. So do we, do we have the same limit here that when you're clearing out your roof, you cannot empty the whole roof? 
because it's weighty and therefore we're very concerned um, concerned that you know you might come to violate Shabbat so here's a reason to be more strict by Shabbat which the violation is not just experientially it's more tall the violation is less weighty Shop your dummy will allow you to clear out the whole space. We won't make as much of a zera that you'll come to that you'll come to violate. Obviously, if there was a high concern, we would make it. But at what degree, what level of concern do you make a zera? So maybe we more want to protect Shabbos than we want to protect Yantav under some circumstances. But yeah, but you actually doing it. See, who cares what the difference of the consequences? So the question is, yes, because if it's a two percent likelihood, are you going to make a zera or not? Right, it's a if it's a point oh percent, point oh one percent likely. You're gonna make it there or not. So it might be in cases where the violation is a much weightier issue, we'll make more protections, even on the cases that are far, that are very unlikely. All right, so that's one possibility. Oh, Dilmar, what do you say? Hasam the opposite argument. If by Shabbos, even when by there's a concern of, of you know of not having a place to learn, even so, we don't let you clear out the whole space, even though there's that sort of weighty justification. So here, where there's not that weighty concern, a bit of basement, certainly we should not let you get, you know clear out the entire space. We should be concerned that you'll come to sweep it and so on. Obviously, this assumes you know it's a little bit funny because by Shabbos you're clearing out the space and you want to you want to use it as a space. So also the context is you'll come to sweep it and make it look nice. Whereas by the roof, you're not going to sit on the roof. You want to get the fruit down so that you can, you know, so the fruit doesn't get destroyed. So, so, so the likelihood that the whole context that you're using the space and coming to sweep it, besides which, do they have dirt roofs? I doubt they had dirt roofs. So I don't even really understand so much the whole, you know, it's, there, there are other issues other than just weighty versus not weighty. Just the whole context, it's not as relevant if there. Okay. room or it's in your house, it's the same place and you're going to use it that you need to clear out. Like it's a separate... No, that's what it's doing. You're saying we need a space to learn. Let's go to that place over there, that that, that, that shed or that barn. We can move us some barrels. You know, we can move some bushels of wheat, and we'll have a place to sit and learn. This is a concept. It's a concept. It seems to be correct. Okay. Um, but okay, so as much as like this, um, there's also that really question, you know, about, I, I, I forget the exact scholarship, but the whole idea that by, uh, in, in, in Bavel as opposed to in Eretz Yisrael, you know, in Bavel they much more had the institution of a Beit Midrash, whereas, you know, in Eretz Yisrael I think they did a lot of learning outside, and like you sort of see, yeah, and you see, you, you know, you see when you see those whole images of like, you know, of, of, yeah, no, but that, yes, but like, you know, of like, you know, uh, Plato and Aristotle, what's that called when they would have the, uh, the those, those um, learning circle, circles or whatever? The, anyway, there would be yeah, it would be anyway, it would be, be like outdoors types of of, of you know learning, and it, anyway, it would not be the same type of a physical structure to the same degree of an institution. But I don't remember the details. So yes, Beit Midrash here is more of a concept. You just need a place to sit. Okay, um, now the Gemara says like this. Um, so that's one. So we age. What, what's the issue about totally clearing out the space? Is that the same or is that different? What's the issue about how much we allow you to move? Let's ask another question. Okay, this structure is going to continue for a while. Um, okay, the hachatznan. Here we taught mashilim peros derecharuba biyomto. You can lower them down the skylights. Vama Rav Nachman and Rav Nachman now clarifies. Now we're going to ask the opposite direction. A criterion that we find by Yantiv, do we apply it to Shabbos? Rav Nachman says, Lo shanu ele 
that's only, you can lower it from the roof down through the skylight. Of only God, Lagad, low. But if you had to take it from one rooftop to another rooftop, and, or, and then lower it down the other roof skylight, or maybe just moving it to the other rooftop, that's too much effort, that's too much tirchar, too much uv that's a problem that you can't do. Betanya nami hachi, we talked similarly, ein metatalimi gag lagag, you cannot move the grain from one rooftop to the next. Afilu kishagagotehem shavim, even if they're like even leveled, you don't have to climb up or go down, like there's a lot of effort, right? Even if it's just straight taking a step over, you know, the gap between the buildings, that's already considered to be too much. Again, I would also say more, you know, the moving from one roof to another, but either too much uvdezuchol or too much tircha. So that's going to be the limit. That's what we get by yantiv. Hasamai, what would be the story there? Now, uh, you know, again, let's say it would be, not, again, you have to try to imagine what exactly would be the scenario, you know, but you're taking it out of a, uh, out of a barn, but let's say it's not just taking it immediately outdoors from the barn, you have to schlep it, you know, oh, you know, a bit of a while to another barn. What would be the story? Okay, so hasamai, um, da, 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 one minute. Okay. Um, I, I just lost my place. Um, uh, so we'll skip the parentheses. Here we're going to make extra restrictions because since Yantiv is more is more light. Again, not just the transgr- not just the violation is less is less you know is less severe, but also experientially it's not it doesn't feel as weighty. So you'll come to treat it you'll come to treat it lightly. You'll come to you know deme- uh, disregard it, and therefore. Um, 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 therefore, we're going to make extra restrictions. Although Shabbos to Chamiri low, but Shabbos, which is weightier, we don't have to make as many restrictions. You're obviously going to treat it in a weighty way. We're not concerned. The Rafi Dami, you won't come to disparage it. Then that'll be okay. We'll let you even schlep the grain a little bit. Or do we say no? Here, again, you could argue that there's a greater reason to be lenient because the fruit will go to waste. And even so, you put this limit on. You don't let it go from roof to roof. So there were, there's not a loss of money. Certainly, we should have this type of restriction. Okay? So again, reasons to argue that, 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 that this case is stricter, reasons to argue that's stricter. We could be stricter here because you'll come to be, it's in general lighter, so therefore we have to put extra restrictions or else you come to treat it, uh, you know, disparagingly. Number one, it could also be more weighty here because, um, uh, so because there's not Bittobesa Medrish. Shabbos, on the other hand, is the reason to say Shabbos is more weighty. Number one, because it's weightier, it's more weighty. That comes up, that came up before if there's a real concern of violation. And it also could be that it's more weighty because it doesn't have the, the push of Hefzit Peirot. So maybe that allows Yantif to be more lenient. So there's arguments to always be made both ways. Okay. So now let's try again. Hachatan or Tanya. Here by Yantiv we have a brighter. Again, all these different parameters can we apply it from one to the other? Lo Yishal Shalein Bechavel Bechalonot Lo Yoridein Derech Sulamot. You cannot. This is only you can throw it basically straight down the skylight. Thank you. But if you have to basically, if there's a window, let's say the rooftop is surrounded by a wall and there's a window in the wall, and what you'd have to do is you'd have to like get it through the window. So you have to lift it up and then lower it down through the window. Or if you have to bring it down by a ladder, that you're not allowed to do. All you can do is just throw it down the uh, rooftop. Too much moving and transporting, which, you know, too many, you know, picking it up, it's moving it, getting it down, and all those things. Again, 
either too much tirchah, the way Rashi says, or too much of the dechal. So that would be the limit here, very under very limited circumstances. Hosamai. What would be the story over there by Shabbos? Let's say it wouldn't just be taking the hay out of the uh, barn. Let's say you'd have to lift it up on a wagon, maybe, and pull the wagon. There'd be more, you know, more movement and more effort involved. Maybe Yantav has more restrictions because there's, or, you know, not the, uh, it's not a scenario that you'll, uh, you, you won't be able to be sitting and learning. But there where there's this, there where it's preventing you from learning that gives you more leniencies. Um, so it would be allowed. Um, or you could also say here it's stricter because or do we say so now we get back not to the character of Shabbos and Yantav but in terms of what is the justification. Is it that the justification of Bittal Beis Amedrish is greater and will give you more leniency? Or maybe the justification of Hefset Peirot is greater. Here there's Hefset Peirot, a mark alone, and even so you're not allowed to do too much of a schlepping and moving. There where there isn't that, isn't it even all the more so that it should not be allowed so take it we don't know okay so basically it's funny because it, sometimes it brings you know some of the factors sometimes it brings others of the factors but it does make an interesting point that we have some parameters that here some parameters that there very unclear if you can apply them by analogy because by Shabbos and Yontav number one is there's, they're dealing with different sort of justifications now by the way those justifications you could imagine a scenario on Shabbat that you have the issue of Hefzeh Peirot. It's not like Hefzeh Peirot is limited to Yantav realities. You could imagine a scenario in Yantav when you have Bittu Beis HaMedrish, right? Although it's interesting, I do wonder whether Bittu Beis HaMedrish was a bigger issue on Shabbat, because since Yantav has this idea of, like, you know, of Lachem and more this idea of Simcha and so on, maybe, on the, you know, maybe there was less learning. On the other hand, there was also the whole Yarche Kala around Yantav and the Hilchus Yantav. So you could have had, so that's just not, you know, unique, intrinsic to Shabbat and Yantav. The, the particular cases were cases of different justifications. You could imagine them being reversed. And then you have the issues which were unique to Shabbos and Yantiv, that Shabbos is weightier than Yantiv, which could mean that we're going to be stricter by Shabbos, could mean we're going to be stricter by Yantiv, because since Yantiv isn't as weighty, you'll come to mistreat it, so we have to make, make more types of restrictions. So you could go either way and we have no resolution. Yes? Is, is this the type of situation in which a posake would be completely justified in giving different stock for their kids. Now, different communities would be different. In other words, you weigh the attitude yes, so of the kahila. Like, in other words, they seem to be, they're not taking on this seriously enough, I'm going to come down on one side. A different community would right. be different. So that is true. You know, sometimes you have things which are, there are general categories which allow for leniencies, you know, you know, Tzorach Mitzvah and Shabbos, like a Shvus to Shvus B'Makom Mitzvah. You can do a double Durabanan, a Durabanan of a Durabanan, or Mitzvah allows you, you know, to override Durabanans. What constitutes Mitzvah? What constitutes a, you know, a Makom Mitzvah? You know, and these types of things, they remain basically guidelines, and then you have to figure out how to apply them to a concrete case. Here, you know, the principle is, Hefzid Peirot gives you a certain latitude. Bittel Beis HaMedish gives you a certain latitude. But it doesn't remain abstract. It remains very concrete and the Gemara wants us to sort of figure out all of the concrete, you know, specific uh, details. So when it hasn't, are we back into an area now about like, okay, use your judgment like we would in general? Or because this has been concretized this way, it maybe takes on more of the weight of like a specific Rabbanan that we have to know exactly what the parameters are. But you are right. This is a case where if it were not an issue of what did the rabbi 
rabbis say initially in their particular allowance, it was just a question of principles, then you would use your judgment, you know, a case-by-case type of circumstance. Okay. Now, you can cover up the fruit if it's raining. And again, what type of fruit we have to imagine, like it could be apples, you know, but that's what's the big deal then. But more likely something like, you know, wheat or grain, it's going to rain on it, it'll start rotting. Okay, that you can also do. Okay, and again, the counter concern would be one of Tircha Uvta Dechol, but we will allow you to cover up your fruit. Okay, Amar Ula, says Ula, Fafilu Avira Delivni. Even if we're talking not about fruit, but even if we're talking about like bricks, um, it's a little funny why the word Avira, the other here says Aara. Anyway, I'm not exactly sure, but anyway, Rashi says we're talking about basically bricks that are stacked for construction purposes. So they're Muktza, but if it rains on them, they're going to get either ruined or certainly wet, and then you'll have to wait to dry them out, so it'll be a whole big kircha and an effort, you know, and, and wasted time. Okay, so you're even allowed to cover those up. The Chiddush being, even though they're muktza. Obviously, they're the same hefzid or more hefzid, but even though they're muktza. No. You can only cover up fruit which is fit, meaning only cover up something that itself is not muktza. You cannot do an effort and, and, and move something, you do an effort for something that is muktza, that it itself could not be moved. What? You can only move something for fruit that could be moved, yes. I thought these fruits are meant to dry, they are muktza. Uh, no, we're, we're assuming that, as I said, that these are things that are done drying out and so on, and that's and not muktza. And, 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 and they're still on your roof. Yeah, they're basically done. You haven't pr- brought them all indoors. Or maybe before Shabbos you said I plan on eating from some of these or something but at least according to the way Rabbi Yitzchak because presumably and that's another point we're allowing you to do Tircha nobody said we're allowing you to move Muktza now that's interesting because you'll remember Tosa says Ochal Nefesh could not, in some cases could override Muktza concerns but the assumption of the Gemara is is that you're not moving Muktza here okay so it ought, definitely assumes that the case in the mission where you're lowering the fruit down the roof is not Muktza that they're done drying out or some scenario like that okay and the question is the second degree can I move Move something for the sake of muksa. I won't move the muksa, but I'm moving something for its sake. And Rav Yitzchak says no. So the Gemara says the Azra Rav Yitzchak with time. Rav Yitzchak goes according to his general reasoning. The Amar Rav Yitzchak ain't klinita lelo davar hanital b'shabat. A vessel can only be moved for the sake of something else that is allowed to be moved. Okay, but if you can't move the object, you can't move something else for the sake of the object. All right. Tznan. We teach. We taught in the Mishnah. Now we're going to try to figure this out. Does our Mishnah allow you even if the thing itself is muksa? Um, you can cover the uh, fruit with, uh, you know, vessels or like with tart. So look, there's a, let's try to infer something. The mission gave an example of things that aren't muksa. gave an example of fruit. The implication being for muksa objects, you wouldn't have this allowance. It says no. Who No, you can even move it to cover up bricks, put a tarp on bricks. The because the first case was lowering it down from your roof, which the, the scenario of having stuff on your roof is fruit. <laughs> so when we talked about covering stuff from the rain, we're talking about fruit, but we don't love dafka, but you could cover anything from the rain. But it's not. Okay, so let's take a look. The mission continues. You can also cover bales of, you know, uh, pitchers of wine and oil. So why does it keep on giving examples of fruit? Right? Give some other example. So asking so 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 you see that we're underscoring only food or only things that aren't muksa? No. No, we're talking about wine and oil that is tevel that hasn't had trumas and maizus taken from it. It's muktzah. Tosos points out, even though we said yesterday that bidiyevet, if you took trumas and maizus, it would stop being muktzah. But for the time being, it's muktzah and you can't use, move it. That's the scenario. Mar says, you know what? 
That makes sense that the second example was one of Tefel. Because they were talking about just totally, you know, potable wine in oil. So we already have an example. Peirot. So, you know, we already said in the beginning fruit. Why would I have to give another example of wine and oil unless it was coming to say, Different. even if it's wine and oil that can't be uh, eaten, that, that can't be uh, eaten. And it says, no. No, 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 no. It needed to give that as a second example. I would have thought to say, for great loss, they were concerned. You know, if it rains on your wheat, it'll start rotting and it'll all go bad. For small loss, that your oil gets a little water in it or your wine gets a little water in it. That's not as big of a deal. Again, I don't know. If it gets too watered down, who's going to want the wine? But maybe there's a, maybe there's a cover on the barrel. So maybe, you know, or, you know, so maybe not too much water will even get through. Uh, yeah. Kamash Milan, that you're, even that you're allowed. So again, while I would have said that actually the Mishnah does sound that it's underscoring only food, it gives two examples and they're both food, seems to say we're only talking about food, the Gemara sort of goes a little bit the opposite and says, no, since the other example is redundant, it's coming to be Mechadish something else. Maybe it's coming to be Mechadish Tevel, even stuff that is Mokta, and then the Gemara responds and saying, no, it's coming to tell you only food, but even if it's only a minor loss. It's yeah. not, I, I can't, I don't know, I don't know. Understand. Have to, who's going to leave barrels of wine and oil uncovered anyway? Right. Forget even without that. So right? that might be. That might be why it's a hefsin muah. But still, if you have a barrel out in the yard and it's a heavy rain, it's the water's going to seep through. You mm-hmm. still want to cover it with a tarp. Okay. All right. So the Gemara says like it's not. So we haven't figured it out. Are you allowed to move things? And this is, that, by the way, more than moving. Rabbi Yitzchak's principle, Enklinita Ledavarnita, is even if it's a trivial effort, it's basically an extension of muksa. The same way this object is muksa and can't be moved, I can't move something for the sake of something that can't be moved. Our mission is dealing with even greater allowance, even a certain amount of kircha being allowed. Okay, and that's what we still haven't resolved. Would our Mishnah allow you to do it even for something muksa? And in general, can you move something for something muksa? It's not. So let's take a look at another mission, Shabbat. No simply, and it's actually this line in our, is it a line in our mission? It's a line in a mission Shabbat. No simply tachas hadelas b'Shabbat. You can put a vessel, you can put like a pot underneath a drip in the roof on Shabbat. So a drip in the roof is probably dirty water. That drip is muktza. That water is muktza, and you're moving a pot for the sake of something muktza. Now that's actually interesting, because you could say, no, I'm moving the pot to protect the floor. I'm not trying to protect the, the dirty water. It's very different if I'm trying to protect, you know, the bricks. So it's all about the bricks. Here it's about saving the floor. But nevertheless, the Gemara understands that it's the same. You're moving it in the con- for the sake of to catch something muktza. So why isn't that a problem? So the Gemara says, Bedelaf haroy. Nah, it's a drip that's fit to be eaten. It's like a clean water that's dripping off of your roof. All right. Tashma, come in here. Porzima chatzelaf agabi levenim b'shabbat. So you, we have a bright in Shabbat that says you can spread a tarp, uh, uh, like a, 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 a mat, on, um, on bricks on Shabbat. So it's exactly the case that we said earlier. And it says you're allowed to do it. Okay, not a problem, even though the bricks are, bricks are muktza. It says, no, the Yasimi Binyana, we're talking there about leftover bricks from construction. They're not still going to be used for construction. And the Chazi Lemizgalai, that they're fit for sitting on. So basically, it's bricks, but it's no longer muktza bricks. They're, you're done using them for construction. It's left over. You can, yeah, and therefore, it, these are, these are, you know, they're, they're considered to be something that you would take and use and, and, and make a pile and sit down on. So it's not muktza. Meaning, you, there's still the same bricks regardless of whether or not you're using them for construction. So even if you still could sit on them, but they're used for, for a second, you still couldn't do it? 
if they're still being used for construction, then they're mukta, they're set aside for construction. Yeah, but once they're like left over, and it's like, and then, then it's... Uh, and it's understood. It's yeah, understood. right. The context of being, of being the leftover material from a construction all of a sudden means that people are going to use it to sit on they it. They could have gotten up there Arab Yosef and said, you know what, I'm, yeah, I know, yeah. I'm using them on... You could, you could, you know. okay, you could. Okay, so the man says like this. Tashma, porzima chatzel zagabi avonim b'shabes. You can protect uh, rocks on Shabbat. So rocks, muksa, you can, so says no. We're talking about like a type of um, um, a sharp rock. Well, not too sharp, holy. Anyway, but anyway, appropriately smoothed rocks that can be used for toilet paper. So they're not muksa. Tashma, come in here. Now, the funny thing is that it's the opposite argument from before. You can get out of all of these and make them special cases that aren't mukta. But the fact that it's applying it to this wide range of cases, most of which prima facie are mukta, seems to be telling me you can do it for mukta objects. But the Gemara is going to still try to get out of it. You can spread a tarp on, um, over a uh, beehive on Shabbat in order to protect it from rain. The Chamim, if it's too sunny to protect it from the sun, and from the rain for the rain. This is a beehive that you have to make honey. Okay? As long as you're not trying to trap the bees. Okay? So the Gemara says, Ah, you see, a beehive is clearly muktza. No, there's honey in the beehive, and therefore you're moving it to protect the honey, and the honey isn't muktza. Again, honey isn't muktza. Presumably you could stick your hand in and take the honey out. Although, again, on Shabbos, you're not allowed to take honey out um, of a beehive. It would be like toleish. Probably can't do it on Yantav either for the same reason. So it's funny that it wouldn't be considered muktza. Even though you will eat the honey, it's not exactly accessible to you. Anyway, that's the Gemara's answer. So, Amle Rav Ukva, Mimeshan Ravashi, Samar Ukva's formation, said Ravashi, Hatenach Yimosakhama. So that makes sense in the summer. Dikadvash, there's honey in the beehive. It also says to protect it from the rain. Well, in the rainy season, which is the winter, there's no honey in there. What are you going to say? So the Gemara says, they're not making honey in the winter. It says, No, no, no. But at least, even in the winter, there are two loaves, a combs of honey, that they eat to feed themselves in the winter. And therefore, that's the honey you're protecting. The Gemara says, One minute. Those two loaves, those two, uh, you know, uh, pieces Combs. of honey, combs of honey, are, are set aside, are muktza. You don't want to take it out because then your bees will die. You're trying to have a, get a business here. You obviously have to let them have that honey over the winter. says, no. There you go, Michael. Oh, it would be a special case. You thought before Shabbos, if I need to, I'll take honey from the beehive, even though it's the winter and even though the bees will die. Okay, and you made them not muktza. Again, it's not exactly clear for me because there's a whole discussion in Shabbat about how rodechalos tavash, how you allowed to take honey out of the beehive, but okay. Anyway, it's this case that they're not muktza. So the Gemara says, So what would you say though if you had not designated them? Also be forbidden because they would be muktza. Since it says in the end, oh, but just, it's all okay, but just don't plan when you're spreading the tarp to trap the bees. Why not have a simpler example of, of a case being forbidden? Not when you're trapping the bees, but that when it's not a special case. When are you allowed to spread the tarp? When you plan to eat the honey and it's not muktzah. But it's not that, then the hive is muktzah and you can't move the tarp. So why didn't it give that? 
But this hachikama. Now, here's what the point of that of it was saying: even in a scenario where it's not muktzah, there will still be a case that you can't do it. Of course, if it was muktzah, you couldn't do it, and if you didn't set aside the honey, you couldn't do it. But even when it wasn't muktzah, there would be a case you couldn't do it. As long because you couldn't do it if you were trying to trap the bees. Okay, so obviously, if it were muktzah, you couldn't do it, but you couldn't even do it that. So where are we? On the one hand, our mission mentions only food examples, which seems to indicate that it can only be moved to protect non muktza On the other example case, all these cases in Shabbat mention many cases which clearly seem on the face of it to be muktza The beehive, the bricks, the stones, etc. and clearly seem to be, you can move it, you can move and you can, you know, spread a tarp to protect muktza but the Gemara has some way of getting out of it, and all of those are special cases that they're not muktza One minute. So now the Gemara just takes a little bit of a break from this muktza discussion to discuss this last line of not trying to trap the bees. So the Gemara says like this, um, okay. Kimta, Now the Gemara says one minute. By the way, there was another way of getting out of all of this counter evidence that you can spread a tarp to protect Mukta. You could have said that all these braces are going like Rabbi Shimon. And Rabbi Shimon doesn't hold of Mukta in general. Or he holds of many fewer cases. And even if maybe some of these cases he would agree that the objects are Mukta, maybe he would be much more lenient about moving things to protect Mukta. So you had a much better answer to get out of all these cases. You could have said it was all Rabbi Shimon. But you didn't. Which means you're assuming that all of these Mishnayot are Rabbi Yehuda, who holds a Mukta, and therefore you had to give a Kvetch and say it was a special case where it wasn't Mukta. But you're assuming that they hold of the principle that there is Mukta and that you can't move for the sake of Mukta. Okay, if that's true that it's all Rabbi Yehuda, let's look at this issue about trapping. Aim a safe, let's look at the end of it. You cannot intend to trap. Why is not intending enough? If you're trapping, you're trapping. What do I care if you're intending or not? So that last line of the Mishnah has got to be, or the Brayta has got to be Rebbe Shimon, okay, that says that if you don't intend, you're safe. So anyway, says the Gemara, you got an easier answer to all this stuff. All this is Rebbe Shimon. So the Gemara says, one minute, one minute. The Tisper of Rebbe Shimon, do you think just saying it's Rebbe Shimon solves the problem in the speed that about not intending? That doesn't solve the problem. That even Rebbe Shimon, who says it's okay if you don't intend, would say when it's a definite consequence, it's forbidden. So, so if you're going to spread a tarp that's going to totally trap the bees, who cares whether you're intending or not? You're trapping the bees. So it doesn't matter yes, whether it's Rebbe Yudah or Rebbe Shimon. This, this bright that doesn't make sense. If you're trapping the bees, you're trapping the bees. Kavana shouldn't matter even according to Rebbe Shimon. So the Gemara says, all right, so now let's, we need another way to explain the end of this Brayta. Kula Rebbe Yehudi. Fine, it's Rebbe like we're assuming, and there's generally muktzah issues, and there are these crazy special cases. But if it's Rebbe Yehuda, what's this issue of trapping? The Hachab and the Isbe Kivi, there are little windows, meaning even after you cover it, there'll be little ways in which the bees can escape. So therefore, it is not going to be a real case of tzeda. So, um, so, what does it mean? Don't, so, what does it mean? Don't intend. So, it means one minute. So, don't say don't have intention to trap because it's not about intention. Because anyway, a intention doesn't matter, and b you're not because it's reviewed, and b you're not trapping anyway. It means don't cover it up fully so that they are trapped. Okay, it's not about intent. It means don't act in a way that will trap them. Make sure when you cover it that you leave them an escape route, that you will not trap them. It says, Pita, obvious, you can't fully trap them. That's, you know, 
certainly it's, uh, you know, we just say Kavana doesn't matter, and if you trap them, you trap them. No. Bees are not normally things that you trap. Now that's funny, because you would say you do trap bees in order to make a bee, in order to make honey, but maybe you attract bees. I really don't know how, how you go get around collecting your bees for your beehive, but it's considered to be not bimino nitso. Things that are normally trapped are things like deer. You know, that you're going to trap them in order to eat them and, and to, and, and to shake them and so on. So therefore it says, look, this whole thing of bees and trapping bees is only rabbinic anyway. So therefore, maybe what I would say is, is that, you know what, since the whole thing is only rabbinic, if you, maybe it wouldn't be so bad, you're basically not doing it to trap them, you're doing it to protect them, so you are an eno mitzkavein, it is not really what you're trying to do, and even though it's, uh, it's necessarily going to happen, it's only durabanan, so maybe we would allow with a type of a malacha shein etzrichal gufana durabanan. So the Gemara says, Kamash Malan, that no, that even though it's only Durabanan, you cannot do it in a way that definitely traps them. Now, by the way, if, again, would it make a difference if this was Rebbe Shimon? In the end of the day, stuff is going to happen. Should, is it really based on the Rebbe Yehuda, Rebbe Shimon issue? Is it really just saying, whatever your position is about Eino Mitzkavein, you cannot do it in a way that totally traps them. It would seem it should be the same. But Tosu says that the Gemara still seems to be focusing on Rebbe Yehuda a little bit, and um, he makes an interesting question. He says, what's considered that you trap them? Let's say, you know, there's a tiny little hole, and if they find the hole, and they squeeze their way out, and they sort of, they, you know, maybe they can get out. But it's like very unlikely. Are they considered trapped or not trapped? And he said, you know what, maybe it makes a difference between Rebbe Yehuda and Rebbe Shimon. Rebbe Yehuda that says, I don't care about your kavana, says, you know, okay, you know, it's like, who cares? That basically they're trapped. Rebbe Shimon who says, look, if it's not a psik ratio, you're okay, would say that even if they're basically trapped, it's not a psik ratio that they won't get out. They might find a way to get out, and therefore maybe that will get you off. So Tozos wants to say maybe there still in the end would be a difference about how, how to define being trapped. But basically the Gemara's answer is it's not an issue of intent. What, what do I care about intent if it actually happens? It says, don't do it in a way that will lead to them being trapped. Okay, Ravashi, um, Ravashi says, He's going back to an earlier question, not how to deal with the end about not having intent, how to deal with this question about how you can have uh, um, uh, honey in it that's uh, not muksa if it's the winter, because it's the rainy season, which means the winter. So he says, you got it wrong. It didn't say in the summer or in the winter. It says, mm-hmm. it says cover it because of the sun or because of the rain. You never heard of it raining in the summer? So it says, Ketani. So Biyomi Nisan and Biyomi Tisha, we could be talking about spring or about the fall. That A, it sometimes is too sunny, sometimes it rains. Because Vash, and there's honey at those periods. So we didn't say winter and summer. We said rain and sun. So therefore, there could always be a case of there being honey. So again, that doesn't address this whole issue about who cares about Kavana. That's a problem anyway. Kavana won't matter. If you're trapping, you're trapping. It has to mean you do it in a way not to trap. But what we are saying is that we don't have to be talking about the case of Muktza. It could be that there's honey in the beehive. Again, I don't know why, because you're not supposed to take the honey out of the hive on Shabbos. But anyway, there's honey in the hive, and there, maybe they've already been removed. I don't know exactly the scenario. Anyway, it's not Muktza. 
So, bottom line, are you allowed to move something for the sake of something that cannot be moved? Our Mishnah underscores food, which might seem to say the message of no, it's only something that can't, only for the sake of something not muksa, can you do this? Because you have a whole string of uh, Tanaitic material, Mishnah and Brightness and Shabbos, that seem to give many scenarios that are muksa. Stones and bricks and the beehive. And the Gemara finds a way out of it, but certainly the simple sense of those is that you can move it even for the sake of something that is muksa. Though you had a question. Yes, the whole, I'm happy about the whole discussion. I mean, it's really an issue of machadic kaseda. In other words, the, the bees live in that hive. You're really not trapping them. In the, almost, almost no matter what you do. I have a question. Trapping. I have a question. If I go ahead and I, and I lock your door and I seal your windows and don't let you out of your house, could I say, well, you, you live in your house. I haven't really trapped you. <laughs> Okay, we'll think about it. The Gemara does not say it's not Sega for your reason. It says yeah. it's not Bimino Nitzo. Right. Okay. All right. So now the Gemara says like this. We know Bishabbat. You can also put this pot, you know, under the drip on Shabbat. So we already discussed whether the drip was muktz or not. Is it potable or not? And that's the question of moving something for the sake that can't be, that can or cannot be moved. Okay. Tana. If the vessel gets filled with water, you know what happens when you got drips? You got every now and then empty the pot. So fine, empty the pot and do it again. The and you don't have to pr- and you don't have to withhold yourself. Now, why might it be a problem? A, it might be an effort problem. Again, you're always running and emptying. Or we could be talking again that the water is not potable. So then you're actually moving muktsa. Now that's going to be interesting. Are you allowed to move Muktza? And that is, the answer is going to be in some cases, not for Hefseid, but for the reason we're about to find in a minute, and that's what the, what the next case is about, why this case might be even if the water is Muktza. So, Bebe Chayev de Abaye, Abaye's mill, Bebe Chayev de Abaye, Dolov, was like dripping. Okay, there was, um, so there, it was raining in his mill and he was afraid that it was going to ruin um, the um, millstone. So, also the coming to Rabba. He came to Rabba and said, what can I do? Amrleh, he said to him, go bring your bed in there, turn that into your bedroom, you know, your, 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 you know your, the, the, the room where your mill is. And then the rain dripping on the, um, on the millstone will make the millstone like a Gerf Shari'i is basically a, um, what's it called, like a chamber pot, and you'll be allowed to move it. Meaning, it's making it smelly, it's not pleasant to be around it, but now you don't have a good excuse to move it right now because you're not around it. It's in a different room, it's not in the room you live in. So fine, go ahead and move your bed into that room, and then it'll be intolerable to have that millstone together with your bed, and then you'll have an excuse to move the millstone, even though it basically is muktzah. Okay, so the Gemara says, So Abayi didn't act on this head there. He was bothered. He said, This idea that you're allowed to move a, um, you know, a chamber pot, even though obviously it's disgusting and it's muksa, both it and the stuff in it, but it's a special allowance that they gave you so you don't have to be around all this smelly stuff. You can't construct the case. You can't intentionally go and try to make it so the thing is smelly so you'll have a chance, an opportunity to use it. So he didn't want to rely on this. To him, it was too big of a trick. Okay? Adahachi, so while he was sitting and not acting on the advice, so his whole uh, thing collapsed. His house collapsed. <laughs> the mill. Okay? Amar, so Abayi said, tastily, you know, I deserve this. The Avi Adamar, because I went against, I had it coming to me, because I went against the advice. I was being too firm for myself. 
Okay? Now, um, now the answer here is, is that you're not exactly, so the person says, but okay, but what about it? Isn't he right that you're not allowed to do a, um, you know, to do a Gershavar Ilechatchila? So he says, look, the, the, the situation was already there. It was already smelling the thing up and rainy and dripping, whatever. So I wasn't making it a Gershavar I was just putting myself in its context. So that is, gives me a little bit more of a lattice. That makes it not so bad because I didn't like make the thing into that. I just put myself in, fr- you know, in, in front of it. Okay. Amar Shmuel. So presumably, by the way, that's the reason you can empty the pot of the rainwater even if the rainwater is mukta non-potable because it's like stinky water or, you know, you know, sitting around and it becomes a type of a Derek Shelvi. This becomes like important questions about taking out the garbage. Very often our garbage has in it also things that aren't mukta. I mean, we throw out so much, you know, stuff, you know, that really is edible, but, you know, but there are cases in a hospital bed, other times of, that you have to really remove a baby, how about a baby diaper, right? You're changing a baby diaper. Why can I go ahead and take it out? Why isn't it muksa? You know, mm-hmm. so this is, the principle of Gev Shari is an important allowance within the ro- rules of Miksa. Maus, maus. Maus, right. The question is, how bad does it have to be? But you see, by the case of a body, we don't have to be talking literally about urine and excrement. So Amar Shmuel, Gerv Shari Vavisha Mimi Raglayim, a you know, a pot which is used for excrement or a pot which is used for urine. So whether it's talking about excrement or urine, Mutalohutiam Ashpa, you can take them out, that's what we said. This is this allowance of Gerv Shari. Uhumach Zero. Now how about when you take it back? Because then what allows you to bring the chamber pot back? Right? The chamber pot, even without its contents, is disgusting and is mukta. So after you've emptied its contents, what lets you bring it back? So it says, no single mayim umach zero. So put water in it, so then you sort of, you're allowed to carry it because you're carrying the water. Of course, I don't know if the water is, is mukta so once it gets into there. Okay? But anyway, that makes it a little bit more acceptable to be carrying it back. So sovermina, so we assume, ger sovri agav mana'im bishnayatmalo, that they only let you carry out a chamber pot if you're not directly handling the excrement. But to directly carry the, the disgusting thing out, that much of an allowance they wouldn't give you. Okay, you can think about, 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 you know, about, I don't know, like, I don't know, people that, you know, the, the, the dog, people that, that do the um, cleaning up after the dogs, right, and the, uh, the pooper scooper and whatever, although maybe that's also gershari, you're not directly handling it, okay, but maybe to directly handle it, that would be, uh, it'd be disgusting, but also maybe too much of a direct violation of muktza. Tashma, come in here that you are even allowed to directly handle it. Tahu Akbarta, there was a certain weasel, or rat, that was in like the uh, perfume room, room of, uh, of, of Ravashi maybe he sold perfume you do not want dead rats lying around in your perfume room yeah, so Ravashi said it was Shabbos or Yontif take it by its tail and get it out so there you're directly handling it. It's not excrement, but it's similar. Not as doesn't have to be excrement. We saw a Baye's, you know, mill house, and this case of a rat. There are other things which are in that category, and you can even handle them directly um, if you need to. But it is a little bit funny, by the way, to, to think of, you know, we just uh, had uh, Shabbos. It was very beautiful. We had the uh, uh, Shlosha Memorial for, uh, um, or lunch for Rivka, and we were mentioning that in addition to her, uh, you know, to her always sort of raising the moral issues when it came to uh, women's issues, she would also always raise when it came to animal issues you like perk up anytime there's some discussion relating to animals so it's interesting this issue about walking
walking your dog and cleaning up after your dog on Shabbos because, um, you know, to what degree is it Gerev Shari'i if you're doing it because it's the law of the uh, city and you'll get fined if you leave the poop around, but it's not like it's in front of you and it's disgusting to have, you know, it's not the same as like in your room and it's smelling up your room. Of course, of course you could say, look, it's still just making the whole environment disgusting for everybody who's going to walk on the street. Okay, but it is a little different, the context in which you're cleaning up the poop there, yes. Yeah, this last case, um, is there any relation to this and wanting to uh, get rid of the bogus on Shabbos by... Is that, where does capturing come in? Yeah, so that's different. You are right that sometimes if you're afraid that some an, an animal or some, you, some a bee is going to sting you or whatever, there are cases in which they allowed, you know, either killing or capturing based on concerns about sky air. And again, like the Gemara said before, if it was something that fundamentally wasn't trapped. Um, but that's, you know, it's different. I mean, it's true. They're all like allowances. But this is a particular muktza allowance because it's smelly and disgusting. And you have other types of allowances for other things. This is okay. a dead animal. Dead, dead animal. animal. Yeah, yeah. Decaying. Exactly. And smelling up oh. your Exactly. Perfume. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I'm sorry. That that I, I, right, 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 right. I'm sorry I wasn't clear about that. That explains your question. Right. Yeah, otherwise you would like case it away. Right, right. right, right. No, it's dead. And it therefore... Exact, right, exactly. 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 Okay. Right. Now we move to this... this now we move to this next Mishnah, which um, is, uh, you know, seems to introduce some very important and interesting categories. Um, let's take a look. Also seems to be an early Mishnah, particularly based on the last line, although may, well, maybe that's how it was constructed. But let's take a look. Anything that you, you, would, trans- by, you would, that to do would be a transgression of Shavuz, which is understood as like a rabbinic, a rabbinic enactment on Shabbat, um, to protect Shabbat, um, or we'll see, to create the more of the nature of Shabbat, um, or to protect from violation, or if it's an issue that maybe would have a just, some type of a justification, which that's what Rishus here means in this context, not that it's totally discretionary, but also there would be some, perhaps some justification to do it, or mitzvah, even something that there would be actually a mitzvah to do, but nevertheless it comes up against a rabbinic restriction, so, um, so if these would be issues on Shabbos, so you would similarly transgress on Yantav. So the basic point is two points. Number one is there's not distinctions between, we just talked about making Shabbos parallel to Yantav, and we did find in some cases maybe we're a little bit more machmir here, a little more machmir there. But in this broad category called Shavus, it applies equally to Shabbos and Yantav. The same things apply in both. That's one point. And the second point is that even when there are some reasons to, uh, to justify Rishus and Mitz and whatever, it's not going to over, override. Again, quite interesting in juxtaposition of the discussion we just had, which says that it's not always Shabbos and Yantav are the same, right? That was the whole half of the Yomud we just spent going through. And that there are things that sometimes do justify certain overridings. This mission is saying the basic rule is they are the same and things don't justify by overriding them, whether Rishos or Mitzvah. Now, what are they? The Elohim Yishim Shavuz. These are the things that are straight out, right, you know, a Shavuz, rabbinically forbidden, that there would be no real justification. These are the easy cases. Lo Olim Elam, you don't climb a tree. Velo Rochim Agadavahim, you don't ride on an animal. Velo Shachim Apanayamayim, you don't go ahead and swim on the water or, like, uh, float on the water. You don't take a raft on the water. Velo Metapchim, and you don't, um, you don't uh, clap. Velo Metapchim, another clap. Right, he says one is clapping with hands, the other is clapping against your thigh. The one we're acting, you don't dance. 
The Eloi and Mishamut, so those are the things that are Shavuot, that there, there's no real justification to do, and they're rabbinically forbidden. The Eloi and Mishamut, here are things that are also rabbinically forbidden, but you might have thought there's some justification, and even so, it doesn't matter. Rodonin, you can't be a based in, even though you are a based in, that's an important thing, to sit in din. Below Makadshin, you can't get married, you can't do Kiddushin. Below Chotzin, you can't do Chalitza. Below Miyabim, you can't do Yibu. Okay, now it's funny why these are called Rishos. Since the Kiddushin, Chalitza, Yibim, you think that they would be called Mitzvah. Okay, so the Gemara will discuss that. But these are things which have some Mitzvah element, and even so they can't be done. The Eilem Yishom Mitzvah, the following things are straight out Mitzvahs. And nevertheless, they can't be done on Shabbos. Lo makdishim, you can't sanctify. The lo ma'arichim, also another way of saying erich alai, accepting an, uh, a, an obligation to the base on mikdash. The lo machrimim, also another way of sanctifying objects to the base on mikdash. Basically, three different ways of taking base on mikdash obligations or sanctifications. The lo ma'bin trumas and maestros, and you don't separate trumas and maestros. We've heard about that. Kol elu biyom tovamru. All of these things were said by yom tov. Kavachomer Shabbat and how much more so by Shabbat. I've got to tell you, there's a certain irony here. The Mishnah starts by saying everything that's forbidden on Shabbat is also forbidden on Yantev. And here's the whole list. And then they say, these things were initially taught that they were forbidden on Yantev. And they also apply on Shabbat. So what was the original context? Shabbos or Yantev? The language of Shavuos also suggests Shabbat. But in the end, it says, Kolei will be Yantev Amru. And it is being taught in Beitzah. It's not being taught in Shabbat. Okay? And then it ends, Ein bein yontav l'shabbat el ochel nefzbovad. So these rabbanans are not a difference. The difference is things that are directly involved in eating. None of this is directly involved in eating. As you know, that's the line from the Mishnayot and Megillah that have the Ein Bein. It's assumed to be a very early line. So does that mean that the whole Mishnah is early? Does that mean that there are two different things that have been pasted together? A very fascinating Mishnah, but one that does seem to be early and gets to some interesting conceptual categories here about Shvus and Rishos. Again, it is worth noting that the issue about Rishos and Mitzvah is somewhat different. I said, even though there's a justification, it doesn't override. Normally, we're talking about you have a general principle, like, you know, I don't know, don't uh, move Mukta, and then you have a special case, Gareth Shal'i, that's going to be an override. Here, the basic Durabanan was initially framed in terms of this activity. There's an activity of getting married. There's an activity of sitting in a basin. There's an activity of, you know, sanctifying things. And that activity, which itself is intrinsically a mitzvah, or has certain mitzvah elements to it, they directly said you're not allowed to do that act. So again, it's not saying that there aren't sometimes external overrides, but here there are things that were identified as activities. Sometimes there are even mitzvah activities that are forbidden. Okay, yes. Wouldn't this last three of these examples of hakadashot that they make yeah, let's not unpack that now. But yeah. One quick right, yeah. Would that not be potentially relevant to how you could have an appeal for a Yeah, brilliant? it would potentially be. Although the appeal is more promised in the future, this is actually effecting a oh, status okay. change immediately. Thanks. All right. I want to get to the first section here because it's very important to depend on how the Bavli conceptualizes this as opposed to other ways of thinking about this. Lo oling the Elon, you don't climb a tree. Xerashem a yiplosh, because you climb a tree, you'll pull off a branch. So lo rochlin agabi behema, you don't ride an animal. Xerashem a yefe chutzutchum, because you'll be riding on an animal, you won't be paying close attention to how far you've gone, and you'll go outside of the tchum. So as much as shemani na tchumim gilraisa, does that mean to infer that tchumim are biblical? There's a question whether tchumim are biblical or not. And if we're making a gzeira, a protection, then presumably we're protecting a biblical violation. So you don't want to be forced into that corner. Okay, it's a different gzeira. If you're riding an animal, you'll come to break off a branch from a tree to use as a, you know, to, as, a, as, as a stick to, uh, to, to hit the animal. So you cannot like float on a, you know, on a raft on, on the water. 
Gzeirah Shem Yaseh Chavitzo Shayatim, because we're afraid that you'll make a, like a, uh, uh, you know what they're called, like a tube, a, um, what are those things called? A raft, or, you know, it, it, it even says it's like a small little sealed barrel. What are those called? Those inflatable tubes. Um, inflatable tubes. Now, what do they call those things that are made to, for, for floating? What? Air mattress, something like that. Anyway, you're afraid you'll make a flotation device, okay? And therefore, that's the concern. You don't clap on your hands and thighs and dance. You start doing this. Next thing you know, you'll be fixing, not making, making, but fixing musical instruments. Okay, and then it is going to go on to the um, um, to, to the second categories of rishus and mitzvah. But I want to just stop for a moment and say something. The Gemara here did what the Bavli often does, which is take certain Durabanans and sees them through the light of Gzeira. Gzeira will do this, Gzeira will do that, Gzeira will do that. It's all to protect you from some other violation. That is not necessarily the pshat at all in these things about Shavuot. If I tell you, you don't ride on an animal on Shabbat. You know, the famous story with Elisha ben Avuya and Rebbe Meir, right, when he wants to sort of illustrate how Elisha was so much, you know, uh, you know, rejecting the whole, uh, you know, his, uh, you know, uh, his tradition. It's as he was riding on an animal on Shabbat and Rabbi Meir was following him and he was teaching him a luck and so on. So he's a friend, oh my God, because you know, that's not the image that comes in our mind. The sense is that that's a type of activity which is fundamentally improper on Shabbat. Call what's been called before Uvda Dechol, right? But you know, it's sort of like getting into your vehicles on Shabbat, even if it's not going to lead to anything, that's not, you know, that's, that's, not, the, that's not Shabbat activity. It doesn't protect, protect the sense of the Kedush and the focus on Shabbat it more evokes the larger world of business and so on how about the idea of clapping and dancing if you look in the Tosefta the original context is you're out in the field and you're clapping and jumping up and down to do what? to scare away the birds Okay, so that's what it is. We're talking about things that technically are no, is no, you know, actual malacha, but you're involving yourself in business type of activity. You know, and all these types of things, you know, floating on the river, you go take a raft trip on a river, you know, that's a major general means of like, uh, con- you know, of like transport, you know, and moving goods on the river. So all of these things could be explained. Shavuos does not, in its words, suggest Gzeir Shema, a safeguard. Shavuot suggests the whole context of Shabbat. It's a way to preserve the quality of Shabbat. It's central to the experience of Shabbat. It basically is what we have been calling Uvda Dechol. And the irony is, is that when things are Uvda Dechol, they feel much more amorphous, not real halacha. Yeah, it doesn't feel right. But it could be some of the earliest takanot that they made about Shabbat were these things called Shavuos, which were about that experiential reality of Shabbat, and they specifically identified certain things and made them forbidden. If you think about the whole list, right, sitting in a basin, right, going ahead and uh, sanctifying things, purchasing things, are these Gezeras Shema, or are they because this is activity, this is weekday activity, and that's what the whole idea of Shavuos, climbing a tree, why do people climb trees? To pick fruit, because they were workers, right? So all of these are very much work-like behavior and work-like activities. So the argument, many scholars believe that in the Mishnah, in the Tosefta, probably even in the Ushalmi, these remain at the level of Shavuos as things that are intrinsically problematic. The Bavli winds up reframing them as Xera. And part of reframing them as Xera has an important implication with Halacha. On the one hand, you could say it devalues concerns of Uvda the Chol, which is 
there's probably some truth to that. If we understood these as being about the Dachau, we'd give more weight to that. The other issue is, is that if it's Xerah, there might be circumstances where it doesn't apply. So, for example, the idea of clapping and dancing, where we clap and dance in shul, I mean, some shuls do, we do, not all shuls. So, Tosos comes along and says, yeah, because nowadays nobody really knows how to fix a, a musical instrument, like, you know, in, in, a tr- in an easy way. And since there's not the concern that we'll come to fix musical instruments, the Xerah doesn't apply. You can only go down that path if you think it's about a Xerah. If you think it's something that's an intrinsic problem, then there's not going to be any of that possible contextualizing um, of it. Okay. Right. It's only out in the field. It's not in the show. Right. That could also be. What type of clapping are we talking about? So that distinction could apply. But it is worth noting that the Bobli has a tendency to make everything a gzera. Okay? I'll give you one final example about this. Blowing a shofar on Shabbat. Um, uh, reading the Megillah on Shabbat, taking the Lulav on Shabbat. Right, the Bavli frames it all as Gzeri you'll come yeah, to carry. Not necessarily what that was about. Certainly something like blowing a shofar, right, could more be like a, making this noise. Shabbos is supposed to be quiet, it's musical instruments, and so on. So it's definitely worth taking a step in realizing what it has done by framing the issues in the Mishnah this way. Okay.